Well, it was in the late 1700s that he was born. And as he's being born, his father is in prison. So he grows up without a father and literally remembers that his mother was nursing his siblings on the jail steps. Um, Growing up, he was a genius at a very young age. He learned multiple languages. He learned Latin at the age of four, Greek at the age of nine, French by the age of 11, and Hebrew by the age of 13. He was a genius and also a poet. And then he would walk into churches, and as his family believed, he would walk into churches and he would hear people sing worship, and he was disappointed. He said that the worship was lacking. It seemed that this worship was not an acceptable offering for God. His father gets out of prison and and this young man is still telling his dad, Dad, how we worship is not how we're supposed to worship. It seems like the psalms on the pages are, are being just dumbed down and our worship is not something that God wants to receive. And this father, in typical father fashion, says, stop complaining and write something better. And so he did. And as as a teenager, his first hymn was written. And these were the lyrics. Behold the glories of the Lamb amidst his Father's throne. Prepare new honors for his name in songs before unknown. His name was Isaac Watts. Isaac Watts, by the encouragement of his younger brother Enoch, in 1701, Enoch said, you have to write more of these songs. You have to put these hymns out. Churches want to worship. They want to know how to worship with this beautiful color that you write with. So in 1705, we put out a few hundred hymns. And again in 1709, and a little later, even more. In the lifetime of Isaac Watts and his pen, he put out almost 800 hymns. And many of them we still sing today. He would look at amazing passages. He would look at, at the book of Psalms and look at Psalm 64 and write one of my favorites, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. He would write other hymns. He would look at just what God was speaking and through his word in Psalm 90. And he would write the hymn, Our God of Help in Ages Past. And then he would look at this beautiful psalm. Psalm 98 verse 4. Let the whole earth shout to the Lord, be jubilant, shout for joy and sing. Just in this passage, we see that creation is invited to shout for joy. I pray that we would be a people who shouts for joy. We look at passages like this and see what God is doing, and we should be shouting for joy. I love how C.S. Lewis said it. He said, joy is the serious business of heaven, and believers should be serious about joy. So Isaac Watts took a look at this beautiful psalm, and he wrote the song that many of us sing. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Let heaven and nature sing. Isaac Watts writes this, and he didn't write this as a Christmas song. He actually wrote it as a song for the next advent, which we are all waiting for when Jesus Christ returns and makes every broken thing right. Amen. But we sing it around Christmas because it's the same still remains. Joy to the world has come. Jesus is here. He is our joy. We, We light the advent candles because he is the light in the darkness. In the midst of silence, the voice of God has spoken to us, and you and I are here. You're like, yeah, those are, I like the Christmas songs and it's cool that we sing them and Marcus is a cool song, but it's not my circumstance. Joy? Are you kidding me? I, I flood the house with lights and I fill the house with decorations, but every Christmas I feel empty. Marcus, we sing all of these amazing songs about all that God has given us, but I feel like I'm simply broken. Marcus, it's Christmas time. I'm still unemployed. I'm overworked. I'm underpaid. I'm still single. I'm still searching. I'm still struggling. I'm still fighting. I feel disappointed 
And at this point, I'd rather just be disengaged altogether. Maybe that's you, and we talk about joy. You're like, how do I even get there? If your joy has been lost, I have such good news for you, that we serve a God who wants to restore your joy this morning. If you've been feeling, I I wish just this season I had a little more joy than I did in the last season. God, if you are truly a God of joy, that, that as we look to you, that your hope and peace would fill us with ultimate joy. God, if that's you, that's what I want. And if you walked in with that heaviness today, God wants to restore it. If you're watching with that heaviness today, God wants to restore. And so I want to pray before we go any further, before we look at how God restores this joy and, and what our part is and what God part is. That's how God works. There's always our part and there's always his part. But watch what he wants to do as he restores. So let's be praying. God, we come before you. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would guide us. Lord, we honor you and we're ready for what you have for us. Lord, you've been searching for joy. And I think if we're honest, at times our worship can be lacking. But Lord, as we look to your word, let us join in with all of creation as we shout for joy. And in the midst of our struggle to shout, give us hope, give us peace, and give us joy. We need you. In your name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me? We're going to be in the book of Luke. Uh, That's in the New Testament. It's one of the four Gospels. So you're going to open your Bible about halfway, get to Psalms or Proverbs, keep going to the right. You'll eventually see Ezekiel and Daniel, and and then you'll see Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. And then we're going to be right in Luke. So once you get to the New Testament, you'll see Matthew, uh, which, by the way, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we've been teaching this each week. We have how many years? 400 years of silence, the intertestamental period. So we go to Matthew, Mark, and then we're in the book of Luke. So God has seemingly been silent, and all of a sudden he's starting to speak. Earlier in Luke, we saw that the angel Gabriel showed up to Zechariah in the middle of the cultural center of Israel at the temple. An angel shows up and says, hey, Zechariah, you're old, and so is your wife. You're going to have a baby. You're going to name it John the Baptist. Uh, John the baptizer, and he actually is going to prepare the way for the Lord. Well, that same angel, Gabriel, shows up. He shows up to Mary. And just imagine what that would be like as as you're, you're standing there, and all of a sudden, to this small area in Galilee called Nazareth, Nowheresville, an angel shows up and then tells you good news. Now, what would you do? if you heard that you were going to be the magnificent mother of the Messiah? What would you do if if you knew that there was 400 years of silence, it seemed that God had not moved, and all of a sudden, an angel tells you this world-shaking, earth-shattering kingdom and empire-threatening news? What would you do? God acted. When God moves, there should be a human response. Let's watch what Mary does. I'm going to start in verse 39 of Luke chapter 1. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah. Uh, she, she runs from where she is at in Nazareth to Judah. It's about 80 to 100 miles. I have never been pregnant, obviously. Uh, <laughs> but I don't think running would sound fun, right? Or getting on a donkey. Uh, she's pregnant. She goes to Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. So Elizabeth and Mary are cousins. Elizabeth is the one who is pregnant with John the Baptist. So they greet each other. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, hold on. If we were here, week one, what happened was the angel Gabriel told, Elizabeth, told Zechariah uh, that what was going to happen inside of the womb was John was going to receive the Holy Spirit. 
Not only did that happen, but the one carrying what the Lord has promised also received the baptism and the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Now, can you imagine what God is asking us to carry and the reason he's asking us to carry it? What if he's saying, I want to do something in you and through you that will transform you? She's baptized in the Holy Spirit. In this moment, she's filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 42, then she exclaimed with a loud cry and she goes into this essential beatitude, essentially this little song, blessed are you among women and your child is blessed. Okay, Elizabeth, how do you know Mary is pregnant? Mary didn't say it. I mean, she's, she's early pregnancy. But all of a sudden, Elizabeth says, <laughs> that angel wasn't lying. Something happened when you walk into the room. And this is what I pray for you in your workplace and you in your home. When you walk into the room, people begin to leap for joy because there's something inside of you that you've been carrying. They say, I don't know what it is, but blessed are you because you're carrying a blessing. It goes on, verse 43. She, this is Elizabeth speaking. How could this happen to me? The mother of my Lord should come to me. <laughs> for you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside of me. He wasn't just kicking. He wasn't just punching. Homeboy was jumping and doing backflips. The first gymnast we see in scripture. He jumped for joy inside of me. Verse 45. Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill what he had spoken to her. If you enjoy circling, highlighting, underlining anything in your Bible, let that be a verse that you hold on to, not only for today, but for tomorrow and the rest of this year and into next year. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he had spoken to her. Has God spoken something to you that you're waiting for him to fulfill? What if we believed it? Now, Mary... What do you do with all of this information, all of this news, all of this life transformation? What do you do? You're carrying the Messiah. She breaks out into song. And it's actually called the Magnificat, which is the Latin translation of the first word that we see, uh, magnify. It's called the Magnificat. She breaks out into the song, just starts singing because of what God has done. Again, God moved, therefore there should be a human response. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. That word soul is where we get our, get our word um, psyche. The word is suke. It literally means uh, the soul. It's where my mind, my thought, my will, and my emotions, everything about me, my whole being rejoices. It magnifies the Lord. My spirit, that is pneuma, like we talked with the Holy Spirit series. It's the breath. It's the wind of God. My spirit, everything within me that is of God is rejoicing as well. And God, my Savior. Verse 48, because he looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts in their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. I love this line. He has satisfied the hungry with good things, sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. Mary hears this news from an angel, the same angel who spoke to Daniel, the same angel that spoke to Zechariah, one of the only two angels named in scripture. And Mary says, I can't help but worship. And, and to have this joy within my heart, to have this, this 
everything within my being want to do something, it begins with, with magnifying God and his power over whatever circumstance I'm facing. The word magnify means to exalt and lift higher because God is higher and God is stronger and God is over anything I may be facing. What are you facing right now that we need to exalt God higher? I mean, just think about Mary for a moment. Uh, she's engaged. She's engaged to someone named Joseph who comes from the line of David. Um, Mary's name means beloved. And Joseph's name means the Lord will add. It's just a beautiful picture of, hey, beloved, church, the Lord will add what you need and what you desire. And as they're engaged, there's kind of two parts. First, it starts with this essential like contract and, and then a price for the bride. And then there would be a wedding planned out. So the wedding is getting planned. They've started like the wedding registry. You know, they're at like Pottery, pottery Barn um, of Bethlehem, whatever it is. Bethlehem Bath and Beyond. Um, she's getting her dress from King David's bridal. Like all of it is going on. She's excited. She's ready for this. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up and says, you're going to have a baby. She tells the angel, um, me and Joseph are engaged. We haven't um, connected, if you will. How, how could this be? But in her language, she, she doesn't say there's no way this can happen. She says, if the Lord said it, how can it be? Because there has to be a way that he's going to do it. In the midst of my circumstance. And I love how, how we like to wonder how that conversation went between Mary and Joseph. Obviously, that's difficult. Hey, um... <coughs> So I'm pregnant, and it's the Lord's baby. Yeah, sure, I bet. Uh, but there's two people that we often forget that she had to tell, her mom and dad. Can you imagine that conversation? Hey, mom, um, so you know Joseph. Yeah, 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 we're engaged, and we haven't connected, um, but I am pregnant. Mm, that's not how it works, baby. You might need to talk to your dad, and dad walks in. Papa Mary, right, he walks in. What did I just hear? No, so no, uh, um, uh, an angel showed up and said that I was going to have a baby. Yeah, that's how it works. You get married, you know. But no, no, before then though, that's the weird part. So before we get married, uh, the angel told me that the Holy Spirit is going to cause conception. Um, that's not how it works. Imagine that conversation. Then imagine the conversations that people would have had in her community, dealing with the gossip, dealing with the shame that she would feel because people are talking about her behind your back. Have you ever felt that? Imagine what Mary is experiencing when people smile in her face and talk about her behind her back. Imagine what Mary is experiencing as she would walk around in her hometown and people would say, there she goes, that unfaithful one who said in all of this silence, all of a sudden God chose someone like her from Nazareth to carry the Messiah, the Savior of the world? <laughs> There's no way. And I heard, you hear what he's, they're going to call him? Jesus. <laughs> you know what that means? Salvation. Yeah, sure. Imagine all of that. She says, no. <laughs> I'm still going to magnify my Father in heaven. She says, my soul magnifies God my Savior. My spirit is rejoicing. Again, you have these beautiful words of soul and spirit. As she goes to this song, she does this beautiful um, way of Hebrew poetry. There's something called parallelism, uh, which uh, in poetry, there's different lines that kind of connect to each other. That's called synonymous parallel parallelism. And then there's antithetical, where one line means something and the other line is the complete opposite. We saw that like he satisfies the hungry and he sends away others empty. 
right? And so in this one, she's saying the same thing, synonymous parallelism. My soul rejoices and my spirit rejoices because there is something within me that I know God wants to do and there's something around me that God is, is doing even now and I can't help but lift my hands, I can't help but rejoice, I can't help but sing, I can't help but magnify. The word magnify does not only mean exalt, it also means to enlarge. Same way we use a magnifying glass. Um, this is my magnifying glass, and whenever I use the magnifying glass, whatever is inside of the focal point becomes bigger. And whatever is outside of the focal point seems to kind of fade away. And I've done a really good job in my life magnifying my circumstances. And God is here. And I'm like, God, you see how big this is? You see how big all of this is, God? What are you going to do about it? Oh, but when I magnify the Lord, my circumstances start to seem just, just a little bit smaller. And it's not as if I'm making God bigger than he is. It's that sometimes I just need to zoom in and get him back into focus. So my circumstances, I say, God, when I look at how big you are, and I look at this circumstance and that circumstance, <laughs> you're in my focal point. I'm zooming in, I'm bringing into focus. Sometimes I just need to take a closer look at God because I can realize, God, I can magnify you no matter what I'm facing. Some of us walked in today with heaviness in our circumstances. You're saying, how am I supposed to sing these songs and worship God? There's joy in the house of the Lord, really? Not at my house. So, but when I magnify God, when I zoom in, when I put him as my focal point, everything around me begins to change. Because I remember that he's so much bigger than any of my problems. So God, as I look to you, remind me that you're not small in reality, but at times I can cause you to seem small because of my lack of knowledge of who you are. And God is speaking today and he's saying, I, I want to show you who I am. This is God speaking. I want to show you who I am. And I show you through the incarnate word, Jesus Christ, which is why we're celebrating Christmas. That's what it's all about. And through my written word. And many of us are wondering who God is and our Bibles are closed. And he's saying, I'm trying to show you who I am. We're saying, God, would you just show up and give me a word? And he's saying, dust it off. Open it up. I want to show you who I am. But again, his part and my part. Imagine what God wants to do as he reveals who he is through his incarnate word, Jesus, and his written word through scripture. And as he reveals himself time and time again, that entire experience that Mary had with the angel Gabriel, is she says, how can this be? Okay, God said, I, I know it's going to happen, but how can it be? And the angel looks her, I can imagine, straight in the eyes and said, nothing is impossible for God. Nothing. How many of us need to hear that today? Nothing is impossible. It doesn't matter the stage that you may be, may be in or the age that you may be in right now. My limitations are nothing in comparison to God's ability. And there's so many times when I have equated God's ability off of my small view of who he is. And again, I just need to magnify him because I can't measure God based on my limitations and my unbelief. I love how one pastor, David Platt, says it. He says, nothing is impossible for the people of God who are trusting in God and the power of God to do the will and the work of God. What if I could magnify God in that way that I know he's just going to show up? How many of us, we see a verse like this, nothing is impossible? I have an impossible need right now. 
Maybe it's a family member that's going through something. Maybe it's just dissension in the home. Maybe it's pain at work. Maybe it's confusion. Maybe you just need clarity in an area of your life. And you're saying, it seems impossible. Impossible is where God begins. That's where he shows up. Because it, it would seem small for me to think that God only works in the possible. If he's God, 